Uh, hi, my name is Ryan with Small Business Chronicles. Small Business Chronicles is quickly becoming your Swiss army knife for small business, whether it be wondering about your emotional intelligence, how to handle employees, HR, selling the business, buying businesses. If you're in business, this has become uh, one of the shows for you, and it's gaining popularity every day. Now, other things that are gaining popularity is not traditional jobs, not working from home, but actually working from abroad. And uh, so no better person to have on the show to talk about that than Kayla Irig that actually makes a living from writing from nowhere doing that very thing. I think she's joining us from across the pond overseas, somewhere in Croatia, uh, like an MI6 agent. So let's go <laughs> ahead and and uh, thank you for coming on the show and tell us a little bit about all the crazy things that you're doing in your industry. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me. I'm a content creator and an author. So I started my website writingfromnowhere.com in a hostile kitchen in London in 2018, uh, thinking I see other people with online businesses and I want one too. So I started this website and I started building skills, blogging, learning about content marketing by doing it, you know, instead of kind of just learning about the industry uh, through reading, which I had done before. And it turned into a freelance writing career that now supports both me and my husband as we travel. So I'm writing for GoDaddy and HubSpot regularly. And I also do ghostwriting and uh, content marketing for brands behind the scenes. And I also just wrote a book called How to Be a Digital Nomad. So so tell me, walk me through a little bit of that decision of, hey, I'm going to leave whatever job or stability that I have and just go do this from wherever I happen to be at the moment. Yeah, that came at 24. I'm 30 now. So I was working in the corporate world and I kind of rebounded very quickly. A lot of people work in corporate jobs for a while before they realize I want more from life. But for me, I kind of entered the working world in a very traumatic time. I, in my last year of college, I my senior year, seven people in my life died. And not just oh, wow. like heart attacks and cancer, which are just a part of life, but like plane crash, somebody getting hit by a car. My roommate's boyfriend just dropped dead one day. He had a seizure and just hit the ground and was gone and they never found out what caused it. So I graduated with this feeling that, man, I might like die tomorrow. So I need to be very fulfilled in life because what's it all for if we're not fulfilled? And uh, it didn't take me very long to realize that a lot of people are not fulfilled. And I asked people like, don't you, didn't you think you were supposed to enjoy life more? Like, wasn't it supposed to be more fun or like, and I called, I call fun the corporate F word and people <laughs> kind of all said, well, it ought to be, but it's just not. And that's just life. And I saw people living different lives online I, through social media. A lot of people talk about the negatives of social media. There are a lot of negatives, but for me, it had a very positive impact. I thought if they can do it, I can do it too. So that's whenever I went out and found freelancing work on Craigslist. <laughs> it's not just for buying used mattresses and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> found a, a very undesirable, actually, freelance writing job at first, but it grew. And now I feel like I've made it as a freelancer. I love all the work I do. And I never thought I would find that. So I feel really lucky. So so you were talking about, yeah, the, the, the good parts about social media is I think that's what drove a lot of us to come out and do things not in the norm, not not general general practice stuff. Like I was a digital marketer, I was in radio, which is kind of cool, but still yet it's that corporate, it's that beat down, working for somebody else. 
And and I don't know what it is about the last twenty years, but that I don't know if you call it a gig economy or or just a, a, a fractional economy to where you can pick a thing and just become really good at it and support other corporate businesses, um, which is kind of how this works. And, and like the kicker for you is not only do you do it from not at home and abroad, but we're abroad abroad. Can you go over a list of some of the places that you've been just in the last twelve months? Um, in the last 12 months, uh, the Netherlands, that was my home base for five years. Um, Germany, Italy, Croatia, Montenegro, Serbia, Hungary, US, Mexico. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm forgetting some countries. Europe is like, you know, you drive for three hours and you're in a different country. So, uh, it sounds a little bit more intense than it is. Uh, kind of fall asleep on the train in Germany and then you wake up in Austria. <laughs> yeah. It, oh, it's what not country like, are we in? Yeah. I, I took a road trip one time from Boston to LA. If any of you ever want to take that road trip, don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's you stay in one country, like nine states, and it takes forever and nothing's worth seeing that much. So, <laughs> it, but yeah, I get what you mean in going, go, going in Europe, how it's just, just quickly going through. So what are, just being curious here, what are some of the strangest conditions you've had to work under? Because as we watch the news, (laughs) as we see things unfold or whatever, over the past few years of doing this, what are just some of those weird conditions that you might've had to navigate to do your job? That is such a funny question. The weirdest, um, I worked next to my best friend as she gave birth. <laughs> she, and to be fair, she was in labor for 24 hours and she had an epidural and it was like very relaxed. She was like knitting and watching a movie. So I pulled out my computer. I wasn't like, you know, I was there for moral support. Uh, but yeah, she was literally <laughs> in labor with twins about to give birth. And I'm like, you know, shooting off a few emails on my laptop. Um, and then I stayed in the hospital with, with her and her twins for four days. And that was, and then I continued to, I spent a lot of time with them whenever they came home from the hospital. So that was intense. Uh, very strange. And, uh, where else? And an abandoned school once, well, during the pandemic, we all worked in very weird situations. Oh yeah. So my husband was a high school English teacher at the time, and he was still going into school because he didn't have like a webcam or anything at home. (laughs) So he was still going into school. And I was allowed to go with him because schools were empty. So we were literally working in like an abandoned Dutch high school in the Netherlands. Like this is, (laughs) there's like no lights on. (laughs) And he's there with like the creepy webcam, you know, like in the dark classroom. That was very weird as well. And working on an island in Mexico during hurricane season when the power was coming and going, that was very strange. Um, Yeah, it's a (laughs) deep well of memories that you're tapping into. So it's a weird follow-up question is the power issue, right? Because if you're a digital nomad, digital pretty much says that you have access to internet and, and some sort of power continuously. I know from traveling when I was in Mexico and South America and Puerto Rico and even some parts of the scattered West here in, in, in our country, it's really hard. So how do you, do you have to pre-plan a lot of, okay, I'm going to have to go here and work and then I can be out of communicate for a week while I travel? Or how do you plan around those two things that aren't as readily accessible everywhere else that you may go? 
You need to verify that where you're going has fast Wi-Fi and you need to ask the host for the Wi-Fi speed because uh, it's not a given that the Wi-Fi speed is workable everywhere. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the bare minimum step, but uh, you really just have to learn to operate ahead of schedule. So my motto, and I say this a lot in my book, the due date is late. Like you cannot plan on submitting work to a client on the day it's due. It's not a good practice for any, like anyone who has kids, you know, you think you wake up and your kids like spewing, you know, and they're sick and you have to like, that's just not, it's almost not workable for like most people who live Mm in any sort of uncertain, uh, you know, uh, without any level of uncertainty, but especially traveling. Like, you don't know if the power is going to go out. You don't know what's going to happen, if there's going to be a hurricane coming through, or if something like normal happens that you just don't know about. Like in South Africa, they have something called load shedding, where they turn the power off for part of every day to distribute electricity more evenly. And sometimes it doesn't turn back on when they'd say it's going to turn back on. And one of my close friends is South African, so I've heard many complaints about it. But if you just like fly in and you're like, well, this looked beautiful on Instagram, so here I am, you do not know what you're in for. So you need to be at least two days ahead of schedule for everything. That's bare minimum. And uh, plan your work, like have long work days, whenever you have work days. Like whenever your Wi-Fi is good and you have a good workstation, you know, you're in like a good vibe, like good zone, do as much work as possible. And then whenever you're off, be off. Don't try to like squeeze in an hour in the evening. That's whenever it all kind of bleeds together and you lose all balance. That's what I was getting ready to ask you with being being a nomad. I know it's really easy because my office is like two blocks from my house and it's easy to to lose that that work life back and forth on there. When when you're doing this, do you have to set yourself certain hours? Are you working like doing full-time work, but being able to figure out how to do that part-time hours? Like how do you how do you balance all this while you travel and do your nomadness, if that's a word? <laughs> I like that word. Nomadness. Um, it's extremely hard for everyone. I've not met a single person who had an easy time finding balance. And if you try the digital nomad lifestyle and it's really hard for you and you think, man, I'm not cut out for it. No, no, you're just, you're one of us. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I interviewed digital nomads spanning five decades in my book. No one like found an easy path to this. But for me, I motivate myself. I work full-time hours still most days and I motivate myself by doing something nice after work. So you need to be motivated to close your computer. And it might sound ridiculous if you're like, like in Croatia now, you know, you think, well, why wouldn't you be motivated? And it's because we really care about our businesses. Like we all are so passionate about our businesses that it's easy to overwork. It's like maybe the default for a lot of us to overwork and you need to be inspired. You need to make plans. You need to know that there's like live music at eight and you're going to be there. And that really, you need to really be drawn out of your like world, your small bubble, you need to be drawn out every day by something. And even if you're not going out like partying or, you know, making friends, maybe you're, you know, that's not your style. Just knowing like you're going to, you're watching a new show on Netflix. You're reading a really good book. There's something really good for dinner. You just have to condition yourself to look forward to that and look forward to putting work away. I think that's the only way to find balance as a digital nomad. I, I think that's a good tip for non-nomad people is because I, I struggle with that. I think anybody that has a business company, whatever, they they really struggle with that. But kind of moving on to the next question is how do you, how many languages do you know? So how are you how are you um, transversing all these places with all these different languages? 
Well, Ryan, we're all fluent in Google Translate. So. Fair. Thank you. <laughs> no. no, that's my... Please don't make me admit how poor my language skills are. Um, I'm, I speak... I'm fluent in English. No, okay, I can't say that even as a joke. Um, I speak... Uh, some Dutch because I lived in the Netherlands for mm-hmm. that was my home base for five years and I had yeah. to actually integrated and became like a Dutch citizen so I had to pass six exams and they were all in Dutch and four of them were about Dutch language so <laughs> I passed all of those the first time but don't ask me anything complicated in Dutch. <laughs> um, I have traveler Spanish, you know, ordering food, getting bus tickets, um, getting directions, basics. Um, I studied French for four years, but, um, that is very dusty. That takes me like five minutes to remember (laughs) what I wanted. (laughs) It takes a lot of planning to, to use that. And, um, traveling in whenever we enter new countries, like we arrived in Croatia two weeks ago. And for us, it's really about basics. Like, please, thank you. Smiling a lot and becoming kind of like expressive. Like you're like, you want to know how much something costs and you're like pointing and you're like, hmm, you know, <laughs> and it sounds ridiculous, but you can get really far with that. And people are really nice whenever they can tell that you don't, you're struggling to communicate. I find that yeah. people are extremely, uh, they go out of their way and they'll even make sure, you know, they like really want to make sure that they understand you. And that is like so nice. I can't tell you <laughs> how nice it is to see someone. Like if you ever, next time you bump into someone that's not a native speaker of your language, like think about how hard, you know, like it, we can all use a little more patience in these, those moments. It, it's, it's, it's like a spontaneous game of charades is what, yes. it really, is what it really is. Because when I traveled, same thing, like rudimentary Spanish, I can get around or whatever. But at a certain point, you're having to communicate more. And it really does break out into a spontaneous charades. Like, no, I need to go up that. that. And yes. you're just, and you're oh both trying to figure it out. It's, 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 and I don't know why. And for anybody out there that's non-native, when you're speaking to somebody that's non-native, just speaking louder doesn't help. <laughs> I no. don't know why. I don't know why people do that because I notice that if you're having trouble understanding for some reason, they feel if they say it louder, it'll be better. Yeah. That doesn't, that doesn't help. And then changing your inflection. Oh yeah. Yes. Whenever pe- it's like, you're like, oh, where's the bus station? And you're there like down the road and you don't understand. And they're like down the road. And it's like, that makes it more confusing because inflection yes. is actually kind of universal. <laughs> Not like totally, like I, I don't know about the whole world, but and a lot yeah. of like, like in Europe, you're in Latin America and the US, like inflection t- tells you a lot. Oh and, yeah. Uh, and then it gets really weird because people start like stressing their syllables out and you're like even if I spoke your language I don't think I would understand what you're saying yeah because because you got to understand there's some people in there that aren't good at their language just like we have people that aren't good at our native language and you might yeah. have just won the unlucky lottery and got that person too so oh, yeah. it's you know it, dialects you, do that as well yes. and uh we were in uh the Yucatan in Mexico and my husband speaks uh much better he speaks he actually speaks Spanish <laughs> yeah. um and he was really struggling and he was feeling so down about it and then we had a taxi driver who said um well, you're, uh, you know, I don't like it here because they only speak half Spanish and half Mayan. We're like, what? <laughs> Are you <laughs> kidding me? That's why. That's why it's been so difficult. He's like asking to, or, you know, 
basic sentences and then he's like not understanding the response. Yeah. And you know, a lot of it comes down, like it, it is a bit scary to go where you don't speak the language, but you Google translate it, most languages. I actually have traveled places where the language isn't even on Google translate. And that's like, <laughs> good luck. But, um, <laughs> I've done doctor's appointments. I went to the hospital ones by myself and did a whole appointment with the doctors through Google translate. You'd be shocked. It's, at that point you're like done is done. <laughs> Checked the box survived. It was is, a is success. It, it, with that language barrier, sometimes is it hard to explain what you do for a living? I know that probably doesn't oh. come up a lot, but is it kind of hard to explain? I write content for the internet. Like, you know, is, actually, is, writer is actually a term that most people accept. Gotcha. You know, it's easier yeah. in a way. It's not quite like nurse or teacher. Like mm-hmm. those, my sister and my my parents are nurse, and I'm always jealous of them. Like they tell people that they're yeah. teacher and nurses, and everyone's like, "Good for you." And I just say writer, and people are normally like, "That's nice." Oh, do you make money? And but that's fine. I'm actually fine <laughs> with those questions. <laughs> yes, I make money at my job, just like you do. <laughs> is is and that brings a very good point i didn't mean to be dismissive of of your book that you wrote because we're gonna oh, talk no, no, about no. that it's in a fine minute. no it's yeah. totally fine it's very weird content like what is content marketing i, I wouldn't yeah. even go there with people <laughs> like yeah that that was what i don't was trying. do it <laughs> like i explain to people like what do you do for a living like we produce podcasts for a living that's all we do and it's like i just help people babble into a microphone that's that's what i do that's that's my <laughs> job badly explained so so tell us a little bit about the book, your your process of writing the book. You said that you interviewed 50 years of digital nomads. Yeah, five decades. Yeah, going back to the 80s, digital nomadism is not as new as everybody thinks. So so how does that work in the 80s? Because, I mean, I was there. I remember it. But I also remember it being really bad, too. So yeah. <laughs> how, how, does, how, how does digital nomadism work in, in, in 1980? It started with a guy named Stephen Roberts, and Stephen is a very cool guy. Um, he, I interviewed him for my book, and he shared so many stories with me. He was a technology writer, and he was really into computers. And if you were into computers in the early '80s, you were like super high tech. But mm-hmm. then they came out with like, and he, he, you know, you built it yourself, you know. And but then they came out with the first like really portable computer in '83, and he thought, well, if I can work from home, I can work from anywhere. So he got on a bike and lived on a bicycle and biked around the U.S. for ten years, I believe. And he used to, and he lived in a tent with his tiny Radio Shack 1000 computer. And he, to send his articles, he was also a tech, he was a technology writer. He would mm-hmm. hook his computer up to a payphone with something called an acoustic coupler. And it was like suction cups that went on both ends of the payphone. And it like sent his article, I think to a fax machine, but those details, I didn't get into those level of details with him. I couldn't remember it. It's all kind of foreign to me. I like, I think of early tech and I hear dial up, like the dial up yeah. sound is like permanently, like I'll be hearing that until I die. Like at a hundred, <laughs> it would still be like playing and it makes me happy to hear it. I'm like, Oh yes, the internet. Like you're like waiting for the internet to you know, warm up. But no, I have one of those acoustic couplers somewhere. I don't think you do. Can see you you yeah. do not. Yeah. No one has even known what yeah. that was. You're the first person. I mean, I didn't know I had to Google it. Um, I'm, I'm a technology nerd and I love little hops in technology that were only around for very short periods of time because they were ineffective or ineffectual or whatever. So we didn't have them for very long. Like, like the six inch floppy disks, like the giant floppy disks <laughs> and then went to the 3.5. And then, 
there's different monitors and different computers and different things just throughout time that were a hop to the next technological level, mm. but just really weren't that well known or around for, for very long. And it might be in my other studio, but yeah, oh, I do cool. have one. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but, they freaked people out. Steven said yeah. that people would call the cops on him, and they like he's like hacking <laughs> the phones, and uh, like I, I made the joke. I don't know. He didn't make. I'm like, do they think you were a communist? Like, please tell me. Like 80s, yes. you know, someone hooked up to the computer. Most people hadn't even seen a computer, so he was right. like quite the show. He had like a computer on his bike, and it was solar paneled. And I mean, that's a sight to behold. So understand the shock but not enough shock to call the police <laughs> so so tell me about your little bit uh, uh about your journey of writing the book and how long did that take and and are there more books coming was this your first one this was my first book and i would like to write more um i've already pitched my second book and had it shot down so we'll see it was about blogging one of my great loves uh, but traveling yes. you know that's the the first so i was sharing little tidbits on linkedin and instagram about the digital nomad lifestyle because there's a lot of confusion. A lot of people think you're like living on vacation. And um, so I thought, let me like bring some realism into this. That's That was my approach. And a publisher found it and they reached out to me and said, we want a book on this topic. We read your blog. Um, we, you know, would you write it? So they pitched me and I was really shocked and I felt really nervous about it because I didn't want to, I wanted to do the subject justice. It's like having such a moment as well. Like this is like a small window since the pandemic, you know, like digital nomadism is decades old, it's, but it's having a big Renaissance moment. And I didn't know if I could do it justice, but I, I think the book is really I think it it is something that people really enjoy. It's gotten really, really good feedback so far from everybody. And uh, it's just a how-to guide on how to live this lifestyle filled with stories. So it's like a how-to guide, but it has like kind of the cadence of a travel memoir with stories from my experience, but also all these other people. And I covered, I like you said, technological hops. I covered all of those. I found people who were there for those moments, like the Steven. And then I found someone from the nineties who lived out of there, who they drove around in their RV with four kids and a wife and had a computer in the RV. And they would go up to people's homes and ask to use their dial up internet. And they would like pull <laughs> out of the house and put it through the window of the RV and plug the computer in. And he, I mean, it's a ridiculous image, but that was Rob Palmer. And now his kids are grew up as digital nomads. And then one of his sons has a daughter and she is growing up as the second generation of digital nomad kids. It is just, I don't know, to me, it's like really special. So the book is like a love letter to that. And I'm trying to tell these stories of the big technological jumps and also where's it going, you know, because it's not slowing down. It's not a phase, maybe remote work. It has, there were more remote work, full-time remote workers in 2022 than there are in 2023. So that has tapered a little bit, but as a movement, it's not going anywhere. And I'm sorry, you started with how long did it take to write the book? And I ran away with it, but it took six no, months. You're good. Writing. <laughs> Man, I, I write a post-it note and I'm done. So <laughs> I, I, I applaud you for, I'm like halfway through the list on the post-it note. I'm like, ah, I'll just text it. Like, <laughs> like, I'm just like, no. And then that's even wrong. Uh, so, so when's this book come out? Is it already out? Give us those details. January, January 2023 or 2024. Gosh, um, for anyone who's listening in the future. But yeah, it comes out January. Yes. And uh, yeah, we've had people reading it in the, in the industry and 
gosh, that's a scary thing to send your writing to somebody in the industry and ask them for their feedback. But it's all been very positive so far. So I'm excited. I'm still scared, of course. I mean, you can't edit it. That's never happened before. Well, if, if uh, you'll have to come back uh, later, like like in a few months or a little bit, and tell me how that went after it got released, and 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 what that looks like for the next one. Uh, one last question before we start wrapping up here is: you'd made the comment that it, it's a movement that's seen a renaissance. So is work from home. And you yeah. see the big backlash from corporations trying to make people come back from COVID and, yeah. and come back into the office. Now, I have an office because I will take gummies and play video games all day if I'm left to my own <laughs> devices. So I have <laughs> to come here to do this because I'm a giant man child. Now, I also take my days where I take my computer at home and I never leave my house. I don't leave my house for three or four days because I don't have to do the podcast thing and I can do everything from the background. In, in your edit, just editorialize, why is big corporations so against this remote work? If the output is the same, if the if the product is the same, then why are they so you have to come to the office and be miserable in these four walls versus go out and be happy and do a good job? I think that this, it just shows that employment is about control much more than employers would ever have admitted that before. Like, I think they really showed their cards with this reaction to work from home that, you know, we don't care if you, if it takes you half as, you know, cause they, it, that's the thing. The argument is like, well, if, you know, they might be only working half the day and we'll never know. But you would, that means that their work is being met. They're doing their outputs. Their you know pe- workers are meeting the requirements for forty hours a week in twenty, and they don't even care that they're wasting that money. They just don't want you to have that freedom. That's my interpretation. Um, I don't go into that in the book because I think a lot of people are happy as employ- employed. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's if you are happy and you're employed, it's so good. But I think that a lot more people are unhappy. Like it's kind of I think the relationship between the corporate world and its employees. Uh, it went through some stuff with COVID. It's almost like after an affair and it's like, things are normal, but it's really not normal because you're still holding a grudge. I think people are still yeah. feeling that way. They're feeling cheated. And yeah. I think maybe they should feel cheated. It, you know, it, it, it's a pretty big can of worms to open because I, I, I feel the same way. Because as someone that has to manage remote employees, there are definitely challenges. And you absolutely know that uh, they're not committed to you 40 hours a week. So you have to manage by output, not time. Yeah. Uh, you, you have to be like, here are your markers for the week. I expect you to hit those because I feel that's reasonable in you hitting those. It's yeah. not about filling their time. It's not about keeping them busy. It's about getting the same amount of output. And if if I think in the real world, when we had to go to offices, if you are a high-value employee, you just got more work gathered on your desk. Oh, and yeah. then the low-value employee got to skate off without doing it. it. It's kind of a normalizer because if I hire five people, I give all five the same task and three come through with it. I don't shift. I fire the two and I hire two different ones that will that will work within the confines of what I want them to. I can't have as much leeway as I would in an office because I don't get to oversee them as much. But on the other side of it, I found through that cycle, I have found people that I don't have to worry about, that mm-hmm. I can literally on Monday post job requirements for the week talk to them when they need to, job requirements are done and we're all happy. 
Yeah. See, that's the positive side. I think that the office removed a lot of going online. It removed a lot of artifice. And I think it's remiss to, you know, you can't just ignore the fact that a lot of people benefited from that artifice. Like we all have worked with people who like dress really well. And let's say Mm -hmm. we're like attractive and they like talk to the talk and really, you know, always like making jokes and schmoozing, but they, their output was a low, but they were seen as high value. And a lot of it was based on artificial, you know, reputation builders, like how they Mm -hmm. looked and how well liked they were. And I do like that. So much of that is removed. You get really down to like the down, dirty, honest part of the work with remote work. And I think that the corporate world isn't ready to remove that artifice because so many people have benefited from that. Who've climbed the ranks. They like that. And I think that they, a lot of managers perhaps totally reaching here, but maybe they are afraid to be judged by output. Maybe it's impossible to do their job. Well, maybe, you know, we're not giving enough credit. Maybe some people cannot do their job well remotely and they're afraid and they don't want their team to be remote. I really don't know. It's quite complicated. I wouldn't say that everyone should be remote. Um, I, but I think if you want to, you should, because it's so great if you get to spend your time more freely but it's not for everyone. Nothing is for everyone. No, and and we ran hybrid for a while over on the digital marketing side, and that just called a bunch of people out because they'd either stop coming to work or mm. or it, it was bad. And I think it was a resettling. And I think that employers and employees should friendly come back to uh, the negotiating table and figure out this work and work from home and remote and expectation things because with. Gen Z coming up, they don't put up with the things that we used to, and and they don't have the same values and views as we d- did. As I'm a Gen X and you're a millennial, and and just as it goes down, it just there there's going to be less and less, and there's not a work shortage, there's a work for jerk shortage, and <laughs> you know, and and that's yeah. going to have to be rectified if we want to fix this. Yeah, yeah, you nailed it. And I think the gig economy is really, it's, I mean, statistics, I think if we look at the statistics, it's very clear, like more people are going to be self-employed and self-employed people make more money once they, after a few years of doing their craft, like as I I know I make, I mean, there's a lot of benefits and I think that the corporate workforce is not prepared to counter those benefits with more benefits. Like they don't want to come to the table because they don't want to offer more. Right. And, and, and that's the big corporations get into the, let me see how much money I can make out of somebody instead mm-hmm. of having that balance. And I think that's another reason they're losing it. And then when you're self-employed, you take on a lot of the work, but I found that the rewards are way better. The, the rewards are, are if you have a happy workforce that feel like they're contributing and they feel like they can make it and there's a path to more, even more success – even if I take a hit on what I have on my bottom line, it it makes the whole process run smoother. And then we all elevate together instead of one just one guy at the top. Yeah, absolutely. That's the future. I mean, yeah. it has to be. People are done with it the way it is. They really are. All right. So we've gotten way off in left field here, <laughs> uh, which is fine, which is all my fault, which is what this show does, which is fine. Uh, but uh, Kayla Erig from writingfromnowhere.com. Let us know where we can find your book, where we can find you outside of here, and how to reach out if we have questions or comments. If you want to reach out, you can send me an email at Kayla at writingfromnowhere.com. I love reading emails from uh, anyone who's interested in chatting. And you can find my book on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Targets, all those websites. And maybe you can drop the link in the show notes so that people can find it there. And uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> I would love to connect with anyone and on social as well on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. If anyone wants to come connect and say hi, tell me that you came from the podcast though, because I don't can accept requests from people without a message attached. Fair enough. I think I sent you one this morning. So, uh, oh, nice. Oh, yeah. I might have rejected it out of a, just quick. No, 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 I didn't. <laughs> I would have <laughs> recognized your name. <laughs> I get a lot of requests on LinkedIn. I would. No, I get a lot in a day. It's a lot of spam, yeah. a lot of hey, babe, you know. It's yeah, no. Kind of gross. I, I, what, what I, every now and then I have a piece of content go viral or I have, well, I'm on another show, I guessed a lot or whatever. And, uh, I'll get a thousand friend requests on Facebook or, or, yeah. or, or whatever in like a week. Well, mm-hmm. I made the mistake of just select, uh, yes, all, whatever. Oh, no. <laughs> and, and then, uh, I, so, uh, my wife and I were, we newly married, we got married in June and, and we have each other's passwords and we're sitting in bed playing on the phone and I open up my stories and it's all just, you know what it is. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, and she's like, babe, you got some splaining to do. And I'm like, ah, uh, I just accepted a thousand friend requests. And apparently they're all OnlyFans. So that's. <laughs> and then you get the gross side whenever you're, I mean, the, the female side of that is like, uh, do you want to be my sugar baby? Uh, I've gotten those messages. And uh, do you want to be my third wife? I don't even know if people are kidding, you know? It's right. like. I, I, no, I do not. So yeah, I'm quite picky about who I connect with yeah. on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah. My, my wife gets those messages all the time too. So we compare like which, but like how bad it is out there on, <laughs> on, on some of those. All right. Well, before we go down another rabbit hole, this is Small Business Chronicles. You can catch us on smallbusinessdelivered.com. You can also catch captivating shows like Marketing Masters, the Agency Power Show hosted by Cash Miller and Business Breakthroughs by Neil DiPentino. Neil DiPentino worked with Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank. He kind of knows what he's talking about. He talks to business coaches and we talk about all that. Also, if you want a podcast like this one, only better, uh, you can find us at titanmediaworks.com. That's what we do. We produce podcasts. We take all the work out of it. It's a done for you, out of the box. You show up, do the fun part. We do all the heavy lifting after that. So titanmediaworks.com. Until next time, everybody. Thank you again, Kayla.